God in this way. In Jesus' name, thank you. I don't know that there's a more exciting ministry for us as a church than what you just heard about concerning the held group. And I want to encourage us to uh, continue to embrace every um, family who has kids with disability. Uh, we have uh, a large ministry uh, in the valley to be able to do that. And it takes all of us sort of joining together as a church family to have acknowledgement of the importance of it. If you do want to give to uh, their special uh, fund that they helped raise monies for yesterday, I encourage you just, um, you can text um, your gift to uh, the Benevolence, and that is one of several categories, and just um, text the word AWAKENING to 77977, AWAKENING 77977. That's how you can give your offering today. Uh, you'll get uh, a response to an app that you click to and on that app you can give to a general fund facility fund um, to benevolence which we will know that those gifts coming in this week will go directly to help and um, also uh, you're going to be hearing from me this week uh, through the mail hopefully about our year in christmas offering will you pray with me lord this morning we are so grateful for the ministries um, that you've enabled us to grab a hold of, to do outreach in this community. Whether it's through a trunk or treat event that causes us to uh, engage in a particular way of encouragement with young uh, kids and families uh, that are next door to us. Lord, whether it's through packaging a box of love uh, to give a uh, holiday meal to a needy family, or whether it's reaching out and supporting those who are part of uh, the disability community, we pray, God, that you would continue to sort of rev up the engines within us as a church to be able to do more and more outreach. For, Lord, we know that you have called us to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And, Lord, your mission goes on week in and week out in various ways. So very grateful, Lord, for that. May you take us to your word and encourage us in this Thanksgiving season for this hour. In your name we pray. Amen. There's a few folks here today. Good to see you all the way back there in the venue B, all the way down here. We got a, a ripping good crowd. Why'd you come out? Because it was sunny? Where were you last week when it was rainy, cold? Come on, right? I tell you what, the COVID journey is a unique journey, and uh, we've been able to make accommodations and adaptations, and I'm so grateful for us to be able uh, to continue to come to you weekly uh, on site as well as online for those of you who are joining us from home or wherever you're at. We uh, finished up a series last week, and I was debating what should we do for this week as we step into the Thanksgiving season, and then, of course, on the heels of that is the Christmas season and all it's a part of things. But you know what I decided? I decided that we just needed to camp a little bit on the subject that you see before you. Choose thankful. Choose thankful. Because there's a lot of reasons that we can grumble and complain this year about what's not going right or what, wish, what we wish would go a different kind of direction than what we've seen. So I want to invite you to do this. I want to invite you to pull up a bench. I want you to 
Pull up a bench in your mind, emotional, mental mind during these weeks. I want you to sit on that bench and I want you to think about all the goodness and the things that are happening to you in your life in spite of all the things that maybe aren't happening so great in your life. Go back over 2020. Where were we a year ago? We were a year ago. Hey, 2020, 2020 vision. We ripped out that series. This is what God's called us for. And then somewhere around the first part of March, things headed south really, really quick, didn't they? And we're like, what's going on? But for all that we could grumble about, there are tremendous things to be thankful about. I'm thankful here this morning that you chose to come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that we have a place, even though it's not in our main venue, for us to gather and meet and continue to add new people. And if you're new this morning, and several of you are, thanks for coming and joining us and, and, and being encouraged. One another, but most importantly, encouraged by God himself. But I want you to take a seat on the bench. And I want you to start thinking through in your mind in these weeks what you need to be grateful for. Because we are called as a people to give our thanksgiving to God. And we are called as a community of people in Christ, even when we're in valleys and tough times, to be able to acknowledge God's goodness and be a source of inspiration and encouragement to others. Our mission. What I'd like to do is I'd like to begin by looking at a story 3,900 years ago, the Exodus. Some of you are familiar with it if you've studied scripture and you've been around it, but the Exodus is recorded in the book of Exodus, and that recording uh, I'm going to turn to in chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. The Exodus of the Israelites was from slavery in Egypt 3,900 years ago to the promised land that God had promised them. And they began this journey, if you recall, on the other side of the Red Sea. God had liberated them from Egyptian bondage, the ten plagues, if we're familiar with those, and we're experiencing a plague of our own now, right? So we can relate to that. Pharaoh let them go. God parted the waters of the Red Sea, made it dry ground even, and the million Israelites walked through on dry ground. Once they got to the other side on their way to the promised land, God closed up the Red Sea, drowning all Pharaoh's army, all of his equipment and his chariots. They get to the other side and they're in jubilation. Jubilation. The prophet Miriam, she sang and danced a song about what God did in setting them free from slavery, setting them free from the Egyptians. We pick up the story in Exodus 16, where they had just, on a few days on the other side, been in the desert area without water, and they came to a town called Maram. Maram. And in Maram, the water was not very good. It was bitter. And God worked a miracle and made that water well. And then they moved on from there to uh, sort of a uh, Middle East Palm Springs called Elam. Elam, it says, had palm trees. It had a number of springs. And they were like basking in uh, the beauty 
of this oasis. But God did not let them stay there in Elam. So if you'll join me in chapter 16, I would like to read part of this. And part of the reason I want to just sort of camp and read this more at length is because I don't know if you get bothered every now and then in our culture and how they don't give credence to God's word and the reality of truth. But for whatever reason, I casually looked up Exodus in Wikipedia. Any of you go to Wikipedia to get some information? It's online. And Wikipedia uh, referenced the Exodus as a myth of how the Israelites came into existence. And I wanted, like, where's the comment thing on this? Like, what do you mean a myth? There's historical record and, and articulation of it. Friends, this is not a myth. This was a true story. If God created the world, then God can do a miracle like splitting a sea. And God can do a miracle like turning bitter water into good water. If God is who God is, there is no miracle in this book that needs to be rationalized away. Here we find the story of the Israelites after the Red Sea parting, after going to Marah, and after being able to uh, spend a few days in the uh, Middle East, Palm Springs. Chapter 16, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to, guess where they came next? The desert of sin. How do you like that? The desert of sin. How many of you would like to go from Palm Springs uh, to the desert of sin? And then it says this, in the desert, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us up out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What did they do? They went from jubilation, my goodness, isn't God great, to doing what? Mumbling, grumbling, complaining. Think about this. It was only one month after the crossing of the Red Sea that we find them here grumbling and complaining about what is happening. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gathered on the other. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening we will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against Him. We, who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when He gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but grumbling against the Lord. Shall I read that again? Moses and Aaron, you are not grumbling against us, but you are grumbling against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. 
While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail. Quail came flying in and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw this, they said to each other, well, what's this for each person you have in your tent? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is about two quarts, for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the two quarts, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. You got the picture of this of what's going on and how they're desperate and they're concerned and God's working this miracle bringing this bread down in the morning and then the quail in the evening. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it till morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two quarts for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. It was Saturday. Tomorrow is the day of Sabbath rest. I mean, it's Friday. Tomorrow is the day of Sabbath rest, Saturday. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get magnets in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any on the ground today. Six days are you to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. Where's it at? But they found none. They found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long? How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you the bread for the two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. And it was like coriander seed. And tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put the omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to keep for generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to the land they, that was settled, the promised land. 
They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. You've been complaining about what you've been eating recently? How about the manna bread 40 mornings in a row? And quail, there was, you know, some meat at night, and that's all pretty cool. But, you know, I sort of like variety, and the variety wasn't there for them. And I'm sure even after they had their um, sort of the sit-down moment about grumbling, they would complain about what was happening with just having manna. Any of you uh, know who Keith Green is? If you don't know who Keith Green is, Google Keith Green. Those of us a little bit older, contemporary music guy, Christian music guy. He had a great heart for God, great ministry. He wrote all kinds of songs. Any of you remember, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt song from Keith Green? Well, this is sort of what happened with the Israelites. They were having all this blessing, God bringing down. It was like frost that would then, when the frost dried, it was like uh, the bread to go and gather every morning for 40 years. And then there was quail that would fly in and they could grab the quail and they kill the quail and they would have meat. And so God provided, he was their McDonald's for 40 years. And it wasn't a drive up, it was a walkout. And they could gather food for their families. Incredible miracle, so much so that God said, I want you to take some of the manna, put it in a court, and I want you to put it in the Ark of the Covenant along with the tablets, the Ten Commandments so that you would remember God's goodness. Every morning they had the opportunity to remember God's goodness, His provision, every morning. But what would they end up doing? They would end up grumbling instead. Keith Green's song says, so you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure? Are you sorry you bought the one-way ticket when you thought you were sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of your own backyard? Eating leeks and onions by the Nile. Ooh, what breath for dining out in style. Ooh, my life's on the skids. Building those pyramids, reflecting back. Well, there's nothing to do but travel. But we sure travel a lot because it's hard to keep your feet from moving when the sand gets so hot. And in the morning, it's manna hotcakes. We snack on manna all day. And we're sure had a winner last night for dinner, uh, flaming manna souffle. Well, we once complained for something new to munch. The ground opened up and had some of us for lunch. Ooh, such fire and smoke. Can't God even take a joke? So you want to go back to Egypt where your friends wait for you. You throw a big party and tell the whole gang, oh, what they said was all true. And this Moses acts like a big shot. Who does he think he is? Well, it's true that God's work works lots of miracles, but Moses thinks they're all his. Oh, we're having so much trouble even now. Why do you get so mad about that cow? Referring to the golden calf. Moses seemed rather idle. He just sits around. He just sits around and writes the Bible. Oh, Moses, put down your pen. Oh, what? Wait. Oh, no. Manna again? Oh, manna waffles, manna burgers, manna bagels, filet of manna, manna pate, the manna bread. That's how that song goes. You can Google it. You can listen to it. So you want to go back to Egypt. I don't know why, but that's one of those uh, uh, little uh, sling phrases that's caught me whenever I start to grumble and I start to complain. Oh, so you want to go back to Egypt. 
I could complain about, oh my goodness, with this COVID purple code, we're supposed to meet outside and, and now we have to meet outside and we can't meet in our nice main venue. Oh, so you want to go back to Hunter Road? No, that's the building we had before we came here. I like this. We couldn't have done this at Hunter Road, right, Josh? And uh, so I don't want to go back to Egypt. I don't want to go back to the things former. I want to make sure that I'm not finding myself in a spirit of grumbling and complaining. And that's exactly what we have a tendency. Our human nature is 3,900 years ago. The Israelites were grumbling and complaining. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Human nature never changes. What have you been grumbling about? Pull up the chair, sit on the bench. Let's reflect on God's goodness and what he's doing in redeeming and changing and transforming our life and sustaining our family. Philippians 2.14 says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold out firmly, hold on firmly to the word of life. I don't want this to be just an exhortation to say, hey, stop your grumbling. But I want you to be mindful that we need to cheer one another on in God's goodness and point it out in individual's life no matter what is going on. Any of you, any of you, any of your cheerleaders here, cheerleaders growing up? Well, cheerleaders, man, they're they're there on the sidelines and they're trying to do what? Hoop and holler and get get the um, the people going. Sometimes they're sort of flat and bored, not into the game. And cheerleaders are like, why are we even here? They're not even watching us, right? Well, there's cheerleaders at a game, but we need to cheer one another on in life. But just as we desire to have cheerleaders in life, you know what we normally find around us? It's not cheerleaders, but grumbling leaders. People that encourage you to grumble and mumble. Well, I don't know. Sort of like an ER. That's not very good. It's all going to go downhill from here. We might as well just go away. Right? And you're like, why are these people in my life? I, I want people that are encouraging, people that can help me think on the positive side. I want people who choose thankful in their life, and they challenge me to choose thankful. Because left into herself, we will move into the grumbling and complaining, wanting to go back to Egypt or wherever we felt life was better, in a location, in a relationship. I don't know what it is, our financial status. Friends, learn to live in the moment. Do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may become God's watching, blameless and pure. Children of God. <laughs> Look at my children. Without fault in a what? A warped and crooked generation who grumbles and complains a lot. And so we get this beautiful opportunity to challenge and encourage one another. To cheer each other on and not fall prey to the grumbling leaders. Not.
a grumbling leader, I think there are three things. Three material things that a grumble leader ends up throwing at you. And you know who the biggest grumble leader is? Satan himself. And he'll want you to focus on these. The first grumble leader material is unresolved conflict. If you have some unresolved conflict with a person in your life that's just sort of going on, and that thing, you just sort of stew on it. It comes back around to you. I'm in that camp. I still can't believe they did that to me. I still can't believe they haven't come and talked to me or said they're sorry. I still can't believe they won't even pick up the phone and call me. Why is it that we're so awkward when we're around one another? There's conflict there. And conflict will steal your joy and your thankful heart. I put this phrase to it as an antidote. And it has to do with the area of forgiving. Forgiving is releasing someone of whatever debt you feel they owe you. So you pull up yourself, sit down, pull up the bench, sit on the bench. You look back over 2020, your present life. You have reasons not to be thankful. When those fly in your face, if one of the, the grumbling leader materials that's being shouted at you is conflict, unresolved conflict, then you have to wrestle with the issues of forgiveness in your own heart. And forgiveness does not mean forgetting. If you're trying to forgive somebody by forgetting the offense, don't go there. But what you need to work with, by God's grace, you've been forgiven much through Christ and His death on the cross and the power of the resurrection. If you're a follower of His, you've received His forgiveness for your sins. He took away the debt of your sins with His death. And so when you forgive someone, you're letting go of the debt thinking, they owe me something. I can't wait till I get back even. I can't wait till they fall on their face. Inside this churning of unresolved conflict sometimes with people really centers on this issue of forgiveness. Is there someone as you're sitting on the bench that you just need to forgive, which means let it go. And what I do, I imagine the cross before me. I'm a visualized person. Jesus has died on that cross. He's no longer on the cross because he rose from the grave. But what I do is I take my burden, my conflict, and I put it at the foot of the cross and I say, Jesus, you deal with it. I'm not built as a human being to carry the burden of that conflict. I forgive them. They don't owe me anything. There is a day of accountability, but it's not with me. It's with you, Lord. Forgiveness is critical for you to choose thankful each and every day. The second material that a grumble leader works with is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. And my antidote for that is just simply this. Right-sizing expectations begins with an appreciation for your life itself. Now you may say, well, that's a little trite, isn't it? No, it's not. No, it's not. I suppose it's okay for me to say, Josh just showed me a picture before I walked up here. And uh, it's a picture of... His wife, Tiffany, who's with her mom up in Oregon. And her mom 
is in a tough season of life in her latter years. And she's watching my live stream today. Hi, Mom. Hi, Grandma. Life is precious. And every day that you and I have it, we need to wake up and be thankful to God for it. Some of you may be mindful of a guy by the name of Rush Limbaugh, and that probably causes all kinds of division as soon as you throw out that name. Rush Limbaugh is a nationwide uh, commentator with his own radio show, politics and other things. He has a brother, Nate David, who's a very solid follower of Christ. Well, recently, this last year or so, Rush Limbaugh was diagnosed with fourth-stage uh, fourth lung cancer. And he's trying to combat it. If some of you follow him, then maybe you know a little bit of the story. But I read something the other day of his. I don't know how I, in one sense, came across it. But he was talking about this thing of being thankful. You know, here he is, big-time politics, presidential election. He didn't even know if he would make it to the presidential election. He says, every morning I wake up and I'm just thankful that I have this day. And he was asked the question, well, why do you have that mindset? And he says, I don't know. He says, a number of years ago, I was listening to something or maybe he was reading something and it referenced somebody who had died. And the statement was, so-and-so lost their life. And I had to pause and think about that. That's true. You can lose your life. Your life can be gone. Friends, no matter what legitimate reason you have to not be thankful and to grumble and to complain or want to go back to Egypt or wherever today, you need to right-size your expectations by saying, today you got up and you have life. And you can give touch to your friends and your family members. You can see them. Now, for those of us who are believers in Christ, we know there's a life after this life, and, and that's a great hope, and that is the hope. And uh, just to follow up on that Limbaugh thing, whatever you believe about the man, it is encouraging when I read that he says, I do have a personal relationship with Jesus. But if you're facing the latter days of your life, you're not thinking much about this life, you're thinking about the life to come. I can appreciate that. But friends, we're given this life. Life to come is just a continuation of this life when you're a follower of Jesus. We pass from one through a shadow of a valley of death into eternal life. But that eternal life begins today. But we get these moments one with another. You get to go out, I have to eat outside, but you get to eat out afterwards today, right? With somebody maybe. You have all kinds of expectations. I have expectations. I have expectations about my life, about my kids, about my marriage, about uh, my church, about my other endeavors. I have many expectations. And sometimes you can get so balled up because you're way out there thinking that more should be coming your way in some dimension than what has. And so you spend your time thinking about what's not transpired rather than what has. A grumble leader material, unresolved conflict, unmet expectations. Remember that forgiveness is letting go of the burden or the debt you think somebody owes you. And dealing with some unmet expectations begins by right-sizing your world and the reality and the beauty that you have life itself. The third one just simply is this, unvalued blessings. Unvalued blessings. A grumble leader will ignore the blessings 
and focus on what you don't have or what's not going right. Maybe it's a physical health issue. And you do not value true blessings that have come your way. Simply put, identifying God's hidden favor and protection indicates your values. So pull yourself up, sit down on that bench, look back over 2020, look ahead to the holiday season and say to yourself, hmm, I wonder what God's hidden favor and his hidden protections are in my life that I can recall right now to choose thankful, to choose thankful. I want to position this to you this morning. I began to dwell on it this week, and I think this is so true. In general, incidents and actions that happen to us are not the most painful things in life. Incidents and actions that happen to us are not the most painful thing in life. Well, what is? Rather, what we believe, think, and say to ourselves about what happens to us creates many, if not most, of our worrisome problems and our thankless dispositions. Do you catch that? It's not the event itself that causes you to be ungrateful or in a bad disposition. It's how you think and you dwell and how you interpret it. How much energy have I spent on a painful thing in my life thinking that so-and-so thinks this way, when the reality is they don't think that way at all. I impose my thinking on them, and that's what they must think. No, you got to come circle back around and right-size everything and realize, you know, some of the most painful experiences, they're painful. There's not dismissing any dismissing of that this morning. But the question is, have you in your mind how you believe, think, and say to yourself, Thoughts concerning that. Maybe that is what's driving you into a place of not being thankful or not living in a state of peace like we talked about last week with the Prince of Peace. Just a, just a attitude check, gut check, mental check. Sitting on the bench, choose thankful. Could the painful thing that's happened to you in life not be as painful as you're portraying it in your mind. Whether it's what other people are thinking, how you've thought about it, or circumstances. People, oh my goodness, I'm worrying. COVID numbers are uh, reeking back up there higher and higher. What's going to be happening to us? Friends, do not let fear steal the joy and the thankful heart that God's called you to as a believer in Christ. Rather, Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers, Sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So that's your assignment. I want you to take Philippians 4.8. What I want you to know is I don't want you to be uh, consumed with grumble leaders around you beginning with yourself. I want you to be mindful of unresolved conflict and unmet expectations and unvalued blessings. And I want you to sit on the bench somewhere, find a quiet space, something that has some beauty to it, 
in the fall. Maybe a little bit of a secluded place. It can be even in your own house. And I want you to list. I want you to list some of the things that you're thankful for in 2020 this week. And I want you uh, to go to this verse and think about whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely. Make your list. I asked my life group uh, this last week to come to life group this week and uh, share something that they're deeply thankful for this year. And let's just go past some of the things that immediately popped our mind, maybe. What is it that we've overlooked that God wants us to really have an attitude of gratitude towards as we choose thankful? Yesterday for men's group, we meet on uh, Saturday mornings, 8 a.m. All men, you're welcome to show up, 8 a.m. <laughs> we had 19 guys there last week showing up. Uh, yesterday, that was great. And uh, we've been going through Colossians. And um, yesterday we were on this passage right here, Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The Apostle Paul exhorting us to set our minds, set our hearts on things above, acknowledging not only life itself, but redemption, new life. God took your sins. He's forgiven them. He's given you his covering, his blessing. You are made perfect when you are in Christ. You move forward every morning as a perfect person in Christ. Human frailties and miseries and sins all aside, Christ covers if you are in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ this morning, if you've never crossed over that line of faith and invited Jesus Christ to be the leader of your life, then, man, you're missing out. Every morning, you got reason to be fearful in one sense. you got uh, disgruntledness. you got worrisome about your sin, or you got worrisome about the future, even eternity. But when you choose to let Jesus Christ come in your life, you step into a new relationship. You are regenerated. You are born again. You are made new. And so it's not just right-sizing your expectations by being thankful for life itself. Right-size the beauty and the joy and the gift God's given you by being in Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. What's referenced in this text, and we gave reference to it, is the idea that in Christ, we've died with Him to our old life and our sins. And we've now been raised to a new life. And one day, when Christ appears, we will also appear with Him in glory. That is truth today, no matter what has you down and discouraged. And yesterday, we had the beauty of getting up from our men's group, sharing on this text and interacting and praying for one another in some smaller groups. And we all went over to the Axine Junior House. Not because they got a nice basketball court in the back and other things. They do. But they got a big hot tub. And we had a baptism yesterday of a new man who just came a week ago who has every reason to grumble and complain, facing surgery to fuse some vertebrae together, just recently 
had a falling out or breakup of somebody he was engaged with. And he um, fell away from the Lord. And recently he came back to Jesus. His friend, who was also pre-Jesus drinking buddy with him, in Oregon, who's now an Alliance pastor, called me and said, I want you to just encourage my friend Matthew. He lives in Marietta. And Matthew came last week. He came this week. He came early this morning to help set up. And yesterday, we had the opportunity to baptize Matthew. Matthew, would you mind just standing and just cheer you on, man? <laughs> Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Buried in sin, raised to a new life, attaining and waiting on glory when Christ will meet us face to face. We have reason to choose thankful this morning. Amen? Amen. That's good. I'm going to have you stand. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray and we are going to send ourselves on our way to not be grumble leaders around others but to be cheerleaders in the kingdom of Christ. This week, it's not only your assignment to sit down and come up with some things you're thankful for in 2020. I want you to look for someone who is downcast and discouraged. We are to be fully alive in Christ and to His mission, and His mission is unique unto your pathway this week. Who is it? You see it in their eyes. You observe their actions that you need to be a champion and encourage them to choose thankful this week. Lord, as we leave here this morning, we pray, God, that you would intervene in our lives and you would use us on mission this week. Lord, if there are those who have not come to faith in you that we have relationship with, may we somehow just encourage them and point them to you, maybe in a conversation, maybe in a kind deed of action. Lord, may we find ourselves serving out of the overflow of our joy and our thankfulness in you. Lord, for all that this year has held, you have held this year in your hands. And you hold us in your hands. And in your sovereignty, there is no reason for any of us to fear, but to trust you one day at a time. Whether it's vocationally, relationally, physically, emotionally, we entrust ourselves to you. We thank you that your life dwells within us if we're a follower. And for those who are not followers, whether here this morning or online, that need to step across that line of faith, may they choose to repent and turn to you and invite you to be the leader of their life. So Lord, use us. Fill us full of your joy. May we choose thankful and may we help others choose thankful this day. In your name, God's people said, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week. God bless. Don't forget to get your box of love on the way out today.